Good morning, church family. So good to see everybody again. It's just a joy being able to be back in the house of the Lord with all of my homies. All right. So when we look at our time together, it's just, it's really exciting. I, I, I get to share this stage with some dynamic preachers, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but I, I will declare that John needs more prayer than all of us. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you've got a Bible, we're going to continue our Gospel and Life series today with Mark's over there like, oh my goodness sakes. If you've got a Bible, let's go to the book of Acts together, Acts chapter 2, and this is really where we'll stay for our text today. When you've got it, say amen. If you need more time, say hold on. Amen. The pastor needs more time to find Acts. All right, ready or not, beginning with verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer is that you would help us lean in this morning to what you would have us learn as it pertains to our witness. And Father, we pray that you would give the Browns the help they need to accomplish your will and mission tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. After the first service, we're going to talk a little bit about unity. After the first service, someone came up to me and they said, well, we do need more diversity because there are Steelers fans in this congregation. And I said, well, that's where we draw the line. Amen. 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 Please, Browns, don't make me eat my words. All right. As we look at our time together, this series has been about what does it mean for us to embody the gospel in our daily lives. The gospel is not just something that we hear. It's not just something that we learn. It's not just something that we believe, but it must be something that we embody. Uh, the gospel has to be something that is more than just that or else it is seemingly useless. In the book, Gospel and Life, Tim Keller quotes uh, Leslie Newbigin from his book, and he says these words. He says, the gospel does not become public truth for a society by being propagated as a theory or as a worldview, and certainly not as a religion. It can become public truth only insofar as it is embodied in a society, the church, which is both abiding in Christ and engaged in the life of the world. So if I could be kind of clear with my point today, here it is. Our oneness is as crucial to our gospel witness as keys are to a keyboard. I know that's profound. The truth is, without our oneness, our gospel witness does not work 
like a keyboard without keys. It doesn't accomplish its full mission. Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, he says, as he is praying to the Father, as he is telling the Father what he wants for us, he says, my prayer is that they would be one as you and I are one. His prayer is that ultimately, that we would be one so that they would believe that the Father sent the Son. And, 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 and the truth is, without our oneness, we leave so much room for dissension and division and confusion in the body of Christ. Because God does not operate in division. Somebody say amen. I remember it was a post where somebody said God does not, that God is not involved in division. And somebody commented and said, yeah, I don't like math either. <laughs> It'll take you a second maybe when you get home. The truth though is that God operates in unity and that God's design and his prayer and his hope for the believers and the body of Christ is that we would be, in, be as one. But here's what is important to note. It's important to note that unity is very different from uniformity. You see, uniformity suggests that we're supposed to look alike, talk alike, act alike, think alike. And that's not God's design for unity. You see, if you look at nature, if you look at the trees, if you look at people, if you look at how things are designed, God loves diversity. He, he doesn't desire that we all be the same. He just desires that we all have the same mind while we embrace and celebrate and accept our differences. That's the only way this thing can work. When, when we think about our lives, one of the things that slaps the evangelical mind frame on its head is the idea of what the gospel represents. Let me show you. I grew up thinking, a lot of churches teach this as well, and it's called the three B's. I'm a prolific artist like Stephanie Tumney. This is beautiful, right? Okay, <laughs> it's close. The idea for so long has been that in order to be a part of the community of God, the expectation is for you to behave. Look the part, act the part, act like you belong, act like you're in this family. The hope is that that will then influence what you, I before E except after C, what you believe. I had trouble in the first service, y'all pray for me. And the hope is that your behavior will then influence your belief system. And if you get these two right, then you can belong. The problem is, that's not the gospel. In fact, the gospel is the good news, and that's not good news. Because most of us never can get past step one. Most of us. I'm not talking about the fine people of Bay Village. I'm talking about most of us. Most of us will never make it past this point, and then when we start having questions at this point, 
We disqualify ourselves from ever belonging. Let me show you what the gospel really is. Because this ain't it. That's what we're going to do to the Steelers tonight. If you really want to see what the gospel looks like, I want you to know that according to Scripture, you are welcome to be a part of this community long before you start believing and behaving. You belong here. You are welcome here in the beginning. And our hope is that you knowing that you belong a part of this family and that you're welcome to this family, knowing that our hope is that that will influence what you believe. And, and, and if that influences what you believe, hopefully what you believe and who you belong to will influence how you behave. This is the gospel. This is good news. The problem with starting here is that you end up doing behavior modification and people never get the big picture. You end up doing, my grandfather said, the problem with some Christians is that they try to catch it, they try to clean the fish before they catch it. I'm, I, I've, after my, um, my Monday fishing, I'm pretty prolific in the art of fishing now, uh, as, I, as I went with the pastors to catch two fish. The truth of the matter is, those things are slippery. <laughs> and you've got to belong before we can even begin talking about what you believe, and before we can even begin working on how you behave. If we approach the gospel with this mindset, I guarantee we'll be more successful. I grew up with a very, very strict holiness Pentecostal pastor as a grandfather who we would be walking in the park and somebody would come walking past and he'd go, hey, how are you? Do you know where you're going when you die? If Jesus was to come down here and snatch you up right now, where would you end up? Wait a minute. I'm like, granddad, you don't know this guy. Because, and I'm not suggesting that we should not share our faith, but I'm suggesting that our individual witness is only as powerful as our collective witness. When we look at the book of Acts in this particular passage of scripture, we understand that the early church developed a mindset and a system of rhythms that helped them belong together. And that collective witness is what reverberated throughout the kingdom and shook the foundation of the earth so that more people wanted to know, what is it about them? Because the world is watching us. The world is watching Bay Prez. The world is wanting to know what is it about that group of people. And the early church had a strong witness because the Bible acknowledges that they were of the same mindset. Does that mean they agreed on everything? No. Does that mean there was all, everything was great and fine and dandy? No. But it means that their hearts were fixed on Jesus and that binded them together so that they can operate as a unit. 
So let's look at these rhythms, these five rhythms, these five practices that the early church embodied. Number one, it says in verse 42, the apostles' teaching. You see, the apostles were credible sources. They had been eyewitnesses of God's, of Jesus' journey on earth. They got to see Jesus move. They got to see him operate. They got to see him rise from the dead. And so because of this, the new believers were eager to learn what they could learn from the apostles. And, and, and I know most Christians, most Presbyterians are born saved, but for the most of us, when you get saved, and you remember, when you get saved, there's a, a fire that burns in your heart. You, you, you want to be a theologian, a, an evangelist, a praise and worship leader, all of that in once. Because there's something about finding and falling in love with Jesus. And what the early church did is they harnessed that new honeymoon phase of the new believer, and they brought them into this body of believers, and they taught them the truth of the word. And this truth was contrary to what they were taught and what they believed. And even in that, there were still people who rejected it. And what you'll find if you keep reading in the book of Acts is that there's persecution that then comes with that effective witness. And I believe the reason the church was able to sustain itself through that persecution, through that pandemic, if you will, was because they were together. Amen? Can I get a muffled amen? Amen. amen. The teaching of the apostles was extremely important for them to begin their journey. But the next thing was an equally as important, and that was the fellowship. Now, this word fellowship, translated koinonia, speaks to their togetherness. You, you have their witness, but then you have their withness. And that they were operating as a unit together to the point where they were fellowshipping daily. And let me, let me help you understand this. Their fellowship was not that of your modern church calendar. It wasn't something that they penciled in and, and made an allotment for. It wasn't, you know how we are, we come to these church events and we're like, all right, they said this will be an hour and 15 minutes. They were invested in fellowshipping with one another and raising their children together and operating together and making financial decisions together and going through crisis and hardships together. And, 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 and my belief, my heart for the church is that when someone accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that day shall be the first day that they never do life alone again. Because when you become a part of my family, I'm now responsible for you. And I want to make sure that you're eating. I want to make sure that you're healthy. I want to make sure that you're well. I want to make sure that you have a sound mind. I want to make sure that you're all right because you are no longer that person, but you belong to me and you are a part of my family. Amen? Go ahead. Don't be afraid. Go ahead. Talk to me. Praise the Lord. 
we can lean into this reality that they were embodying what it means to be in constant communion and fellowship with each other. I told the first service that I had these friends that I remember meeting them in kindergarten and it was two kindergarten classes and there were two in my class and two in the other kindergarten class and, and these four friends have remained friends to, till now. They went to the same college together, these four friends. These four friends got married within five years of each other, all four of them. On top of that, these four friends all had children around the same time. They didn't plan this thing, but when you do life together, you start to operate together and things start happening together. You ever had a friend and you and that friend been rocking together so long, y'all start, start to sound alike? You start to use each other's phrases? I got me up here preaching with my phone because I've been spending so much time with Pastor Mark. I wouldn't have never got away with this back at home. But you begin doing rhythms and doing life together, and so you begin to look alike, and that's how God designed his people. He designed us to be in community so that we can be of one mind and one body and one spirit, one faith, one baptism, because there is one Lord. His goal was oneness from the very beginning. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, and here's what I want you to understand about this. I believe that God does amazing works and amazing things in both the large church gathering and in the small church gathering. Here's the way I've heard it said, and we've heard it saying this morning. The large gathering is where we believe the Lord and we state that the Lord is most high. But the smaller gathering is where we believe that the Lord is most nigh because there is an intimacy and there is life change and transformation that takes place in the small gathering that cannot be duplicated in the larger gathering. Both are equally important, but we have, we have somewhere along the line put one over the other. And Bay Prez is a church where we want everybody to be a part of a community, everybody to be a part of a group that's living out the gospel. Because there are some things that are going to be able to happen in that gathering that won't be able to happen in this room. There's going to be some life sharing and some fellowship and some love and some discipleship that takes place. So we've got the apostles' teaching, which is, is good to begin with, with making sure that you know and that you're being educated and being taught what's needed to be taught. Then you need fellowship because we're not designed to do life alone. But you can look at me and tell that this next part is my favorite part, and it's where it says that they've been breaking bread together. That was a joke, okay? This was both communion and a meal. I believe that God does amazing things together when folks are eating. I just believe that in my spirit. But this was important because there's something even transformational. I remember when I was doing education, and when I, the first school I started working at was a high school where I, 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 we delivered lunch to each kid. We delivered lunch to each kid's room. And like it would be one room and we would take the lunch to that room. And when you see the exchange that happens when you give somebody a plate, like I'm going to just tell you all, I am grateful. I'm, I'm a young man. And, you know, you, you, get, you get to a certain age and, and they start telling you stuff like, you know, you won't, you won't be able to find a wife that cooks. And when I say I'm blessed, I am man of God, I am blessed. 
my wife knows exactly what she's doing in that kitchen. And the light on the look on my face when she brings me my plate, it makes me so excited because there's an amazing exchange that happens when God's people get ready to break bread. But the second part of that was that they engaged and they attended the sacrament of communion. And this is important as well because the communion not ought to be this ritualistic religious service that we participate in because we have to, that we get used to, that we just do. But communion invites the oneness that we have in Christ. Here's what Jonathan Edwards had to say. We are carefully and with the utmost seriousness and consideration attend the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. This was appointed for this end, to draw forth longings of our souls toward Jesus Christ. Here are the glorious objects of spiritual desire by visible signs represented to our view. We have Christ evidently set forth crucified. Here we have the spiritual meat and drink represented and offered to excite our hunger and thirst. Here we have all the, that spiritual feast represented which God has provided for poor souls. And here we may hope in some measure. What he's telling us is that this is not something that the church should ever in any way put aside or put on the back burner, but this solidifies the oneness that we have in Jesus. That we participate in this sacrament and it brings us and Christ together, that we actually believe that when we partake of communion that the Lord is present with us. So we've got the apostles' teaching. We've got fellowship. We've got breaking bread, but then we have prayer. And while for Christians this should seem self-explanatory, we have oftentimes misplaced the priority of prayer as a means to treat God like some type of a genie. In fact, there's a preacher who actually said, I believe that God is like the genie from Aladdin. Well, I know about the genie from Aladdin. And the genie from Aladdin was a slave to whoever held the lamp. This is genealogy. Well, not genealogy, but you know, you get it. <laughs> Here is the truth. Prayer is not an opportunity to manipulate God into giving us what we want. But prayer is an opportunity to commune with our Heavenly Father in which He actually gets to change our hearts and knit us closer together. And so the early church understood that in order to have this oneness, that it meant coming together after the apostles' teaching, during the apostles' teaching, after fellowship, during fellowship, after breaking bread, during breaking bread, that we must come together and seek God's will for our community. That prayer is not an opportunity to get something from God, but it's to give God an opportunity to change our hearts. I can tell you that some of the most deepest answers I've received from God were when he told me no, but he worked on my heart so that the no didn't matter. How do we learn as the church how to live into these rhythms so that, that we can actually have this warm center that, that our uh, early church had? But the last thing that they embodied was generosity. You see, it tells us that they sold their possessions. 
that they, they, they gave everything away. They sold everything to make sure everybody in the group had what they need. And I mean, if you're going to have people in worship every day, fellowshipping every day, somebody got to make some money around here. Amen? Some of y'all are like, they want us to come here every day? Every? No, 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 no. That's not the point. And so they operated with these rhythms. And you know what? This is why the Lord added to their number daily. Because of these rhythms that were embodied. These were not strategies for church growth. Nobody read a book on seven ways to get 10,000 members. What happened was they experienced the life-changing work of the gospel. They witnessed people who walk with Jesus tell them about it. They had fellowship with one another where there was motivation and life change and accountability and discipleship and all of these other things. They broke bread together and they were generous to one another. But here's what I want us to pay close attention to. And it is the word that begins, it's the second word in, the first two words actually, in the text. They devoted themselves. You see, this wasn't, this wasn't a, a, like I said, this wasn't something that they just did, but they devoted themselves to these things, which meant when it was comfortable, when it was convenient, when it was inconvenient, when it was uncomfortable, all of these, they devoted themselves. What has happened to our society that keeps us from living in community? Because I'm, 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 I'm really want to press here. The social dilemma of our society, where our children and our marriages and our families are so stuck on what's happening on these phones that we don't love each other. You know, there's a study out that really that actually suggests that great, teenage drug abuse is down. Teenage reckless behavior is down. Teenage Inter, teenage interacting in, in sexual relationships, down. And that seems like something to celebrate. But they're not telling us that these things are happening because our kids don't have friends. That these things are happening because our kids are not involved in society. So you want to know what's up? Suicide and depression. Because we live in an isolationist society where we are keeping, we're continuing to drift further and further and further apart from what it means to be a part of life with people. And can I press that the church must be different? I'm going to say it again. Our oneness is as crucial to our gospel witness as keys are to a keyboard. The reason why racism is so hurtful and harmful to the gospel is because it disrupts the oneness that we have in Christ. The reason why political division is so harmful to the church and to the gospel is because it disrupts our oneness in Christ. I'm going to just say this point. Here it is. If you look across the scope of political division, you should be looking at the left and scratching your head and saying something ain't quite right. And you should be looking at the right and saying something ain't quite right here. Why? Because
because this isn't our home. Heaven is our home. And God is not looking to see who's willing to bow to the elephant or to the donkey. He's looking to see who's going to bow to the Lamb of God. That that is our responsibility. This is why we are planting a church. We are planting a church because every community, every nook and cranny, every corner needs a community, big and small, living out this truth. Let me show you how that can happen with this video. There's many ways that the gospel is spread and there's many ways that God uses people to spread the gospel. Um, but I think that one of the most powerful ways that God reaches out to the community is through community. And that when people can see a group of Christians living out um, a Christian model of um, interdependence, care, and compassion, I think that there is an attraction to that. Getting to know the core team members, Jeanette, Jamil, Phil, and Marsh, Martha, and everyone else, it's made me appreciate the differences that God has given us. It wasn't until I got to the core team that I got to truly invest and, and be with people like, like Phil, like Dave, like Brian, that I would not be with on a normal basis. I'm, no offense, I'm used to being with people of my kind. I'm not used to being outside my area. I've worked in the inner city for 20 years, but at the end of every day, I would go home. But this is a chance where I get to know people. I get to know who they really are, get to know about their families, and just learn about a culture that I didn't really know much about. It enriched me because it lets me get a chance to see not only their point of view of things, but it also gives them a chance to see where someone like me comes from. The way I really got to know Phil and Martha was when I spent a week, I spent a Sunday at their trailer. And that was in the, in the sticks. I don't remember, it's a 45 minute an hour drive in the woods somewhere. And it was a real bonding experience for me getting to talk to two of them. We had a chance to sit, eat, talk, fellowship, and we really got to know each other on a very personal level. Um, and from that point on, they were the white folks that I can be okay with. <laughs> they, were the, they, they, they were the folks that I'm like, they're cool. I can, I, can, I can relate with them because we can talk on marriage and family and kids and RVs. It forces me to open up. It forces me to open and be honest of who I am, where I stand, and it forces me to understand where they at and who they are, and it forces us to bind together as one to say, okay, where can we move forward from here? It's made me understand that God has brought a wide variety of people together and we are working our way to deal with the challenges and understanding of what we're gonna to have to do with this community, how we need to listen to the community. 
and how we need to understand what our role and purpose is. It's going to be the model of church that I think God intended it to be, where we lived in community with each other and in community with Him. Our witness is going to be through the relationship we have with each other. When people see the relationship that I have with Jamil and Gerald and Keon and um, the other people on the core team and the launch team, I think that they'll see that when we live out the gospel, um, then they'll be more open to living out the gospel themselves or receiving the gospel. And hopefully then they can become part of this community and, and expand the witness exponentially through that. And so, can we just celebrate what God is doing through our church in the inner city? Their oneness was their means of witness. The transformation that happens in the lives of people around us can happen both immediately and gradually as long as we are together. And our togetherness is why we need more churches. It's because the community and the most divisive part, the most divisive thing we've ever seen, our communities, our cities, this country, this world needs to see people loving each other. They need to see black folks and white folks and Hispanic folks living in community together, worshiping the same God. And we can do that. And that makes our witness more powerful. That's why we're here today. It's to witness. Jesus, if, if Jesus' goal was for us to just be saved and dipped in the blood and set aside in green pastures, he'd kill us as soon as we accepted Lord. But the rest of our life is to show the rest of the world what's possible with Jesus. And so, as we live out being an alternate city and creating a new humanity, knowing that Jesus is coming to make all things new, we have to do it together because our oneness is as crucial to our gospel witness as keys are to a keyboard. And so very selfishly, I'm going to tell you, if you want to be a part of that community down over there in Clark Fulton, go to the website, baypress.org slash churchplant. But also, as we live out what it means to be the community of people here in this community and a part of this local congregation, because we're going to be one church, baby, in just two different locations. But if we're going to be here in this community, in this congregation, let's take care of each other. Let's love each other. And let that be our impactful witness. Amen. Let's stand together.